I discovered something this week, and I wanted to uh, share it with you, start this new series with this. First of all, go ahead and put it up there. What a person believes ultimately determines how a person behaves about anything. What you believe about exercise determines how you exercise. What you believe about church determines how you, you look at church or Bible, whatever it is, what a person believes. Next. When we believe truth, now I put a capital T because truth is a person. Truth isn't some concept that you discover. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Truth has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. So when you believe truth, Jesus Christ, God works for us. But when we believe a lie, Satan works against us. Now, Satan works against us all the time. But if we have truth, Jesus Christ, in our hearts and we're, we're living for him, then, then God works on our behalf and overcomes the evil one. Next. Truth in the mind, again, capital T, truth, Jesus. Truth in the mind can lead to obedience. So, so you can read the word and you can have truth in your mind and it might lead to obedience. But here's the thing. Truth in the heart and obedience from the heart produces godly character. It makes you look like Jesus Christ. You bear the family resemblance because you're obeying truth. Now, here's what I want you to know. This is, this is on your listening guide. God's word and God's will must be internalized for you to benefit and your future generations to benefit. God's word and God's will must be internalized. It's not enough to have head knowledge. It's got to be in your heart, and you've got to do it. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my teaching, and my Father will love you, and we will show ourselves to you. You want to see Jesus, you obey. Now, I want you to remember all that as we start this new series today. So, God's word and God's will must be internalized, especially when we're talking about this thing we're talking about today. Now, there's one thing in you, and there's one thing in me that keeps you from and it causes you to. Now, I'm going to read a series of statements that keeps you from and causes you to statements, and I want you to guess what this one thing is in you and what this one thing in, is in me that keeps us from and causes us to. There's one thing that keeps us from celebrating the success of others. It keeps you from initiating an apology when you know you are 100% wrong. It keeps you from initiating an apology when you're only 5% wrong and they're 95% wrong or 1% 99%. It causes us to argue a point even after you realize you don't have much of a point in the first place you're just arguing for the sake of arguing it keeps you from admitting you have weakness it keeps you from admitting you have need it keeps you from admitting you don't know what you're doing even when everybody else knows you don't know what you're doing it keeps you from being honest with yourself it keeps you from being honest with others it keeps you from learning new things because you want people to think you already know it all <laughs> sorry it causes you to feel good when others fail yay they failed it causes you to bow up, bow up or blow up when you should be opening up to others. It causes you to cheat before you'll allow yourself to lose at anything. It causes you to lie about your past. It causes you to have the last word always. It causes you to buy things to impress people who aren't even paying attention to you. This thing, it keeps you from, it causes you to. What is it? Pride. That's the, that's the longest lead in, Yeah. Not the good kind of pride that makes you say, I'm proud of my children. Not the good kind of pride that inspires other people to greatness. No, no, no. We're talking about the hideous kind of pride that caused C.S. Lewis to write this in Mere Christianity. Unchastity, and we don't even use that word anymore. And, and Andy Stanley's a pastor I listen to. He said, he said, don't look up the word unchastity because you'll be disappointed in what the definition is. And so, of course, I looked it up and I was disappointed in it. It basically means unchaste, not being chaste, C-H-A-S-T-E, not chaste. <laughs> chased. Um, it basically means being, being impure. So impurity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and then I love this word, are mere flea bites. Impurity, anger, drunkenness, 
greed, they're flea bites compared to this thing we're talking about today, pride. Because he said pride leads to every other vice. Now, here's the sad thing. Pride's in you. It's in me. You've been victimized by it, and you have victimized others by your pride. You can see it clearly in others. It's not so easy to see when you look in the mirror, is it? No. Because pride is so hideous, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks learning what it is and learning to kill it. We're going to do what? We're going to do what? Yes. We're not going to coexist with it. We're not going to tolerate it. We're not going to defend it or explain it. We are going to kill pride. Kill it. Thank you. So let me give you some statements about pride today in in our introductory sermon. Pride, first of all, it diminishes you. Now, here's the thing. Pride promises to make you bigger and stronger and badder and better and more acknowledged by other people. But in reality, is that what it delivers? No, you look smaller, you look weaker, you look less important to other people when you're proud. Pride diminishes our capacity to what? Well, several things. To admit what you need to admit, to apologize for those things you know you need to apologize for, and to acknowledge whatever it is you need to acknowledge. It it diminishes your ability to do that. So you see somebody walking down the road with whom you have a problem, and you say, I need to say something to them, but... I know I should apologize to that person today, but I know I need to admit this. They know it. I know it. Everyone knows it. But why is it so hard for us to say we're wrong? That's not that hard a word. I just, just for fun, say I'm wrong. Come on. I'm wrong. Some of you have never said those words before. Now, um, several months ago, I showed you in the, in the 70s, the coolest guy on the planet was named Arthur Fonzarelli. He was on the series Happy Days. And, and um, I showed you, he, he couldn't say I was wrong. He couldn't say the words, I was wrong. And so I actually did a YouTube search, and I was, I was shocked at how many times Fonzie could not say the word wrong. And here's just one instance. Look, I know what I told you to do, but when I told you to do that, I was wrong. <laughs> Ralph... I was, I was not exactly right. What do you mean, not right? I mean, not right. I don't get you. You mean you were wrong? Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, Malfa. I was what you just said I was just then, yeah. Wrong? The Fonz wrong? Malf, look. (laughs) There is a first time for everything, huh? Uh You were wrong? Yeah. Yeah, it hurts sometimes. Why? Why can't we say what everyone knows we need to say? Does it make him look, does he look cooler because he can't say it? As a junior high student, I remember being frustrated thinking, Fonz, you're an idiot. Say it. It doesn't make you look better. It makes you look like an idiot. So pride makes you look so small. We got to kill this thing. We can't live with it. Pride diminishes our capacity to say what needs to be said. Someone in your world is dying to hear something positive from you today. <clears throat> so stop telling them what they need to do. In our, in our small group, um, everybody, uh, everybody always, we're, we're practicing telling people who they are, not telling them what we want them to do or what they're going to want to do. We're telling them who they are. We had an incredible... By the time, I'm just going to tell you this. I don't tell you this often. Last week, we sat right back there at our table, and it was one of the most powerful small group experiences I've ever had as we shared with each other who 
who we see you are. There were tears back there. We, all, we couldn't read our notes that people wrote to us, and it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever felt as someone said to me, I see who you are. I, not, not the circumstances you're going through right now. I see who you are. And, and I was tearing up, and they, everybody was tearing up, and we're like, dude, we've got to quit, and let's go eat breakfast, you know, because it was so powerful for someone to say what needed to be said. Now, pride diminishes your capacity to hear what needs to be heard. We could have rejected all the things that people said to us, but that would have been foolish. And see, there's somebody in your world who's desperately trying to get through to you, but their words just bounce off of you, and they will say, my words bounce off. They never get through to you. You see their lips moving, but it's as if they're speaking a foreign language, and they're desperate to get through to you because they love you, but you won't have any of it because of your pride. Pride also, also diminishes our capacity to give what needs to be given. You see something that needs to happen, needs to be given, whether it's money or time or a hug or a kind word. You, you just won't give it because of your pride. Pride is that powerful. Pride has the same power over us as a remote control has over the TVs in the living room. This remote control goes to those TVs. We call that our living room out there. If I walk out there now with this remote control and I start pushing buttons, those TVs are required to obey this remote control. Why? Because they've been programmed to obey this remote control. It's the same with pride. Many of us have been programmed by our pride, and it's as if we are bowing down to pride. Here you go, Satan. You can have control over my life. You have dominion over my life. I will bow down to you, Satan, and I'll do whatever you say because here's the pride. Here it is. Here's my remote. You control me. Pride, you rule me. I will obey you. And really, it's Satan. Satan's the one who stirs it up. So when we, when we let pride control us, we're giving the remote control to Satan, the enemy of God, and he makes us look foolish. And see, even when we compliment someone, there's a barb or there's a critique at the end. Honey, that was really good, but no buts. Keep your butts out of it. We mess up the compliments when we put our butts in it. Get your butts out of it. Honey, that was awesome. And I'm proud of you. No but. Someone in your world needs to hear that. Pride also crowds others out. Not only does it diminish our capacity to do things, it, it crowds people out. When you're full of you, there's no room for anybody else in the room. You, uh, you probably can't see it, but there's someone tiptoeing around your world, and they're afraid that, that your pride is going to hurt them. And, and you don't, either you don't see it, or, or worse, you don't even care that you're destroying them with your pride. When you're on the throne, there's no room for anybody else in the world. And let me give you, here's, here's just a little hint. People would be, rather be anywhere else than in your presence because your pride, my pride, when we're full of pride, it diminishes the other people in the room. And how many here would say, I just, I want to be diminished. Come on, diminish me some more. No, nobody wants that. It leaves no room for anybody else, so it pushes other people out. It also, this is, this is believe it or not, this is even worse. It pushes God out. Pride crowds God out of your life. When you see this verse that, that David wrote in Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. Notice that's a capital H, so he's talking about God. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. Why? Because the prideful man seek what's best for me, and they believe they are what's best for them. And so I can't serve God and me at the same time. So if I have to make a choice between God and me, I'm going to choose me because it's all about me. The prideful man, the wicked man does not seek God because there's a competition between me and God, and I'm going to choose me. And then look what it says. In all his thoughts, 
There is no room for God. And literally the Hebrew term means in his thoughts, there is no God. There's no room for God because he's all about himself. The prideful person says, I'm the center of my universe and I might as well stay here because there's no God who can or will take care of me like I will take care of me. Now, in case you haven't thought I've been meddling before, I'm just going to tell you I'm about to meddle. I'm going to stop preaching and go to meddling, all right? Because pride crowds God out, someone in this crowd or somebody that's watching online needs to hear this. Your pride and not your intellect is keeping you from God. It's your pride, not your intellect. You've stiff-armed God with your intellect, but the real issue is your pride, not your IQ. And see, you have discovered three or four, maybe five zingers that you can use to shut down any religious conversation, even one that you're not in. You'll listen for it. Oh, man, I've got the right at, I've got a way to shut down those Christians or I can, I can shut down these religious people. And let me tell you, I think you're smart. You're probably really smart. You're probably smarter than a lot of the people. You may be the smartest person in the room. And quite honestly, you might be the smartest person to have ever lived because you can win a debate, man, you can win a debate. And I'm not discounting your intelligence, even though you discount the intelligence of every religious person you ever come across. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not smart. Here's what I'm saying. If in addition to stiff-arming God with your intellect, you regularly stiff-arm the people in your life that you love the most with your intellect, you have a pride problem and not an intellect problem. We will now return to our regularly scheduled sermon. <laughs> pride is a prison. It shuts us in and it shuts other people out. And and I don't think that's your goal. I don't think people say, I want, I want to be alone till I die. I don't think your goal is that at your funeral, people will stand around wondering if you loved them or if you were just in love with yourself. I don't believe that's your goal. But that's where you're headed. That's the path. When you fall a pride, when you give pride control of your life, that's where it's going to end up. And people will stand around debating whether you loved yourself more and if you even loved them. See, Jesus, this is, this is where we're going in this series. Jesus, the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to unfollow pride. Jesus had a radical approach to humility that destroys pride. See, Jesus defines greatness by how well you serve others, not by how many people serve you. Greatness in the kingdom of God is not about defending who you are, defending your greatness. Greatness in the kingdom of God is about defending those who cannot defend themselves, honoring those who, who have no honor, giving to those who cannot give back to you. Even a cup of cold water given to a child in Jesus' name, he notices because it brings dignity and honor to that child. This is part of why we go on mission trips. Houston, we're going to go and we're going to put uh, a roof on, on this house in Houston. Here's the really sad thing. We went and looked at several houses, and I don't even remember George and Jeff and I went down this last Monday, and, and the house, I know the house we're going to um, work on. I don't remember who he said lives there, but here's the thing. So we're going to put a roof on. We're probably going to have to pay for that because they got no money. Here's the really sad thing. So they've started sheetrock work. They, they've done, I think the electrical was pretty much done. It was run. Maybe not all the outlets put in. There's, there's still some, some tape in bed. There's still some painting. There's flooring. There's, there's bathroom. There's, there's roof that we need to put on. And here's the really sad thing. He said, no one will touch this house until you get back here in January. She's been out of her house since September of 2017 when Hurricane Harvey came through. And he said to us, he said, 50% of the houses in Houston that were destroyed by, by Hurricane Harvey have not been touched since September of 2017. We just find that unacceptable. And so we can't do, we can't do everything, but we're going to do something. 
So there's one house we're going to go down. And, and honestly, we may start doing it more than once a year going down to Houston. We, we looked at the place where we'll be staying. It has air conditioning. We're already over. We're already beating Haiti and, and Belize. Um, we're going to be there in January. And we just need to pray for a good week because we could, George thinks we can finish the roof in two or three days. And if we have good weather and, and what better time to put on a roof than January instead of July. I just kept saying, man, I'm just glad we're not going to be sweating to death up there. It's, it's going to be awesome. But we go do that. We may not even meet the lady who lives there, but that doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. You're serving. When we go, when we go to Haiti and we go to Belize, one of my favorite things in Haiti is when the little babies who, who are probably being babysat by their 8-year-old, 6-year-old, maybe 5-year-old siblings because their parents have to go work all day. One of my favorite things is when those babies start getting tired and you take that baby and that baby has no clue who you are can't understand a word you say and you just love on that baby Jesus notices when we honor those who can't pay us back that's why we go on mission trips to remind you oh you got to be here next week if you don't pay attention to this sermon you better be here next week for the next sermon because I'm so excited about what God what God is going to show us about (laughs) about pride and how to kill it um my pride and your pride robs us of being great in the kingdom of God. Look what Jesus says in his, his first sermon, which was the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 5. He says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek does not mean weak. Jesus was the strongest man who ever lived, who ever walked this planet, the strongest human, and, and he was meek. Meek means strength under control. And he says, the meek will inherit the earth. You know how I think the meek are going to inherit the earth? They do things that other people would not do give you an example, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 13, we're told that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. How many of you heard that story before? Think about this. The one who was adored by angels in heaven, who, who at the name of Jesus would bow down and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The lamb who was resurrected. Actually, he wasn't yet. Before all that, he, he leaves the glory of heaven and he comes down and he puts on skin. And he willingly gets up from the table just before he's crucified and he starts washing the feet of his hygiene-impaired disciples. And everyone in the room thought that job of washing the feet was beneath them except the greatest person in the room, Jesus Christ. He willingly washed those stanky feet. I've smelled stanky feet. Cameron and I were in, in Peru a couple years ago, and the last night we got to our, our, our campsite really, really late, and we couldn't take showers. And that homeboy took off his shoes, and I thought I was going to throw up. And I remember laying there in the dark going, Lord Jesus, I, I really don't want to puke in here because that's just going to make it worse. And then it was really gross because I got used to it. And I went to sleep. And, and that was the last night, so we actually had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So we, we get in bed about 11, we get up at 3, and we march. So anyway, but I, that was stanky, I'm telling you. And I did not offer to wash his feet that night, um, but Jesus did. The creator of the universe stooped down, and he did something nobody else would do. And he says, take that, pride. Watch this, pride. I'm going to serve. And then he said to his disciples, his followers, do what I just did. Take that, pride. Not only did Jesus wash his disciples' feet, Jesus initiated reconciliation. Now, who makes the first move when, whenever you're, you're, in a, when you're, you're in a relationship and it messes up? Who makes the first move? You want to know who? The more mature person. The more mature Christian. <laughs> Janie always makes the first move. <laughs> What's that say about me? 
it's always the more mature person that gets all over me because sometimes I'm not done being mad or hurt or whatever it is. Okay, so why is it such a big deal that Jesus makes the first move? Check this out. Jesus was right 100% of the time. All right, we're going to pray that no lightning bolts come down here, and we're going to pray that you're honest because I'm about to ask you a question. How many of you have been right in your life 100% of the time? All right, good. So both services, nobody's dying today, right? Nobody lied. You can't say it. I can't say it. Nobody's right 100% of the time except Jesus. Now, check this out. Jesus was wronged 100% of the time, and that guy initiated reconciliation. Don't you ever tell me you can't do it. Mm -mm. Not when you see Jesus. (laughs) See, pride, I'm going to do it anyway. Pride says, wait. All right, we're going to have some hand motions. I tried this in the first service. It bombed, and I told them I wasn't going to do it because it bombed, but I'm just going to do it anyway. You're going to be better than them, right? So I can tell them next week, you you excelled. All right. So you're going to do this with me. Ready? We're going to say, pride says, wait. All right. So pride says, all right. So that's good. That's even better. You just say, wait. I'll say, pride says. They couldn't get it. Three words. We could not get together. Okay. Pride says, wait. Wait on what? Wait on them to make the first move. Yeah, you're, you're spiritual. We're not there yet, Miss, Miss Louise. You're way ahead of me. Pride says, wait on them to make the first move because they're guilty. I didn't do anything wrong. Wait on them. Wait on something bad to happen to them so I can say, ha, ha, karma. I don't even believe in karma, but you put, you put it on Facebook. Don't put karma. Don't ever put karma on Facebook again because I will, I will type it to you. I will throw darts with my, with my keyboard. Um, I don't believe in karma. I do believe Scripture says you reap what you sow. Be very, very careful when, when the person who made you mad has something bad, and you go, you reap what you sow, sucker, because then, then you're just as bad as they are and in, in God's eyes, and you're about to reap what you just sowed. Right. <clears throat> Wait on something bad to happen to them. Wait on them to die. Some people are this bad. Their anger, their bitterness is so bad. Wait on them to die so that you don't have to. Pride says? Pride says? Oh, so much better. I'm just going to play that right there. I'm going to get that segment next week. I'll say, first service. Jesus says, all right, you ready for this? Jesus says, initiate. All right, this is your hand. You're shaking hands. You're sticking out your hand. This is reconciliation. Pride says? Jesus says? Pride says? Jesus says, you know I have zero pride if I'm doing hand motions. I did a song last week. My God, it's so great. I got no pride. But if you remember that, it's worth it. Right? One more time. Pride says, Jesus says, dude, that went so much better this service than it did. I think it was me. It wasn't the first. It was all me. My delivery was much better uh, this service. Pride says, I need to pray about it. No, you don't. I've been to way too many Baptist prayer meetings where we got to pray about reconciliation. No, you don't. Jesus said, I do what my father does. I watch my father. Whatever my father does, I do. If Jesus did it, you don't have to pray about it. You need to do it. (laughs) Jesus was guiltless. 
He was wronged 100% of the time. He was right 100% of the time, and he initiated. Look what, look what Romans 5, 8 says about his father. But God demonstrates, God did something. God initiated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we could do anything, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. God sent Jesus to die for us. He initiates. Jesus initiates. The Holy Spirit initiates reconciliation. So what do you think you're supposed to do as a Christ follower? Initiate. And here's the thing. If you have two people who are willing to initiate reconciliation, there is no such thing as irreconcilable differences. And this is one of the reasons, one of the strongest reasons why the Bible says to... Um, <laughs> got a little ahead of me. One of the reasons the Bible says that um, we're supposed to only date and marry strong Christians is when two people initiate, you can overcome any obstacle. So when you initiate... Y'all all right. I saw y'all all right. I'm talking and all your heads go down. And, uh, so now, when you initiate reconciliation, you assassinate pride. Now, about 20 years after Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead and went to heaven, and, and after the apostle Paul had become a Christian, all right? So 20 years after Jesus left, apostle Paul becomes a Christian. He wrote half of the New Testament. He wrote a letter to the church uh, at Philippi, and he says this in Philippians 2, 5. And, and, and most of you probably heard this, but this is what God showed me this week. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. And I've heard this preached. I've preached this passage before, but I've never really looked at the relationships part. In your relationships, you're supposed to be like Christ. I knew in my individual life, I was supposed to be like Christ, but in my relationships, I'm supposed to be like Christ. Well, what did Jesus do? He had the same approach to relationships as Jesus did. Well, what did he do in relationships? Paul tells us he made himself nothing. The word, the, the theological word is called kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S, -E and it means to empty yourself, to make yourself nothing on behalf of someone else. It doesn't mean to think less of yourself. Oh, woe is me, I'm Eeyore, nobody loves me, I'm a doormat, all of that trash. No, no, it means you don't even think of yourself. You think of someone else first, right? Not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less and putting others first. So how does he do that? How does he empty himself? He became a servant by taking the nature of a servant. He said, how can I serve you? Someone offended him. Jesus is like, how can I serve them? Someone offends me. How can I serve the person who offended me? If I offend someone else, the question I need to ask is, how can I serve them? I'm going to tell you, God's got a sense of humor. Every time I preach on something like this, there is something in my life that happens where I have to put this into practice. I'm not even going to tell you. Janie knows. I had to put it into practice this week because she said, maybe you should do this. And I said, I'm preaching on pride this week. Of course I need to do that. <laughs> how can I serve the one who's offended me? Do you see? Do you see how radical Jesus' approach was to relationships? And I double-dog, I triple-dog dare you to find any other religious leader, any other founder of any religion who acted like this in relationships. They're not out there. There's only one Jesus Christ. There's only one way to heaven. He said to initiate reconciliation. And then it says, being made in human likeness. That means he put skin on. He was fully human and he gave up his rights for people who did not deserve it. And then look what it says next. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Have you noticed that in this world in which we live, you either humble yourself or you are humbled? Right? There's a choice. Anyone? Is it just me? You either humble yourself or you are humbled, and especially when you come into the kingdom of God. 
God will not share his glory with you. And if you, I just read this morning about one of the kings. I'm in, I'm in uh, Second Kings, and I just read about this one king, and it said, as long as he acknowledged God, God blessed him. But it said, when he became proud, God opposed him and gave him leprosy, and the dude died an outcast. I'm like, okay, I get it. No. <laughs> I'll have to tell you that story another time. Um, he, he humbled himself. He put himself under people who did not deserve to have the Son of God under them. He humbled himself. How far did he go? Well, look what it says. Being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How far did he go? Death. Not just any death. Death on a cross. Crucifixion. He just wants you to apologize. He just wants you to ask someone for forgiveness. He just wants you to maybe write a letter or maybe he wants you to shut up. Maybe he wants you to say, son, I'm proud of you. And I was thinking about it. Nobody says, daughter. I don't talk. I talk I'm like, hey, son. I don't ever go, hey, daughter. Daughter, I'm proud of you. And I've said, son, I'm so proud of you. I've never said, anyway, I don't know. Get off of that. I call him baby. Hey, baby. And they, they make fun of the way I say it, but I don't care. Baby, I'm so proud of you. No, nothing after that. No buts. Even death on a cross, it says. And then Jesus says, follow me. Now, how many of you think that you are, you're going to die a crucifixion is how you're going to leave this planet? Anyone? I don't think that's going to happen. It might. I don't think it's going to happen. There's not a good chance of that. But I'm going to tell you, there's supposed to be a crucifixion in your life, and it's your pride. Pride controls you. It controls you through your emotions, not your intellect. See, something happens, and, and your pride says to your brain, um, I need you to find a reason for me not to apologize. Find me a loophole so I don't have to do what I know I'm supposed to do. And the brain goes, I'm on it. And your brain starts listing all of these reasons why you shouldn't do what you know you should do, why you shouldn't have to do that. And, the, and pride comes back, your emotions come back and go, I knew you had my back, thanks. I don't have to do what I know I'm supposed to do. And when that happens, Satan, pride, gets a tighter grip on the remote control of your life, wraps another tentacle around, and, and it becomes cemented. And you're controlled by your pride. And Jesus says, hand me the remote. He says, pride doesn't have to control your life anymore, but it's not going to go quietly. You, you, don't, you don't get to tolerate pride. You don't get to live with it, explain it away. You have to execute it. You have to chop off that, the, that arm, those tentacles that are holding on to pride, and you have to hand it back to Jesus. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions as we finish today's sermon, and, and, and let's just go through this quickly. First one, how does pride show itself in you? How does pride show itself in you? Um, if you don't know the answer to this question, <laughs> someone close to you does. And at lunch today, af actually after lunch, after lunch, ask them. Don't do it out here in our leadership lunch. We don't want to see that stuff. We don't, want, we, don't want to, we don't have fights out there. Sometime after lunch, ask them, you know, how does pride show itself in me? And, and if everybody, when you ask that question, if everybody at the table starts making eye contact with each other and not you... You have a pride problem. For me, I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm, I'm always worried about my reputation. 
I do not want to disappoint God. I do not want to disappoint Janie or my kids. And I, I honestly, I don't want to disappoint my church. I want to be liked. And in order to be liked, it'd be real easy to preach feel-good sermons. It'd be real easy to exaggerate the good that's going on in my life, to, to, to pretend nothing wrong. It'd be real easy to keep secrets. But that's pride. See, in my life, there, there is a temptation to think, you know, I've served you a long time, Lord. I deserve that. And then a few weeks ago, we studied Samson over here in the men's Bible study, and Samson thought he deserved whatever woman walked across in front of him. Samson, Samson died a failure, and I thought, oh, man, I deserve that. That's a, that's a dangerous place to go. King David, the greatest king in the Old Testament time, the king uh, that, that every other king in Israel's history was compared to, David walked around. At the time kings go out to war, he's walking around on the roof of his palace, and he sees Bathsheba, and he says, I deserve that. It cost him the life of his child that he had with, with Bathsheba. She got pregnant, and, and because of his sin, God took the life of that child. It almost cost him his kingdom. I deserve that as pride, and you've got to keep that far from you. <laughs> as long as I'm alive, we're, I'm, there's not ever going to be a reserved parking space out here for pastor and first lady, his wife. I mean, uh, if, you want, if other churches want to do that, that's fine. That's not going to happen because when I get here on a Sunday morning, all of the parking spaces are available. So why do I need my own, right? I can choose anyone I want. And when I walk across, I have on dress crocs. When I walk across the parking lot like I did today and my dress crocs get muddy and, and wet, and I'm tempted to think, I deserve to park closer. I remember that my Savior washed some stanky feet. He served others, and so what's the big deal? My socks are dry fit. They'll dry out by the time I finish preaching. <laughs> as long as I'm alive, my name will never be out on the church sign. Jeff is always telling us we need one of those HD high-definition marquee signs out there where Janie and I are standing going, Pastors Doug and Janie Washburn would like to welcome you to New Life. Amen. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. I've been waiting years to say that. That, that was awesome, Jeff. <laughs> that is not going to happen. He has said that over and over, you know, and Janie's like, No, we're not. No, no pictures of us. I don't care about that trash. That's how it shows up in me. How does it show up in you? Second question, what does pride masquerade in you? Now, th this is a little different. This is a deeper question. Does it masquerade as confident? I'm just a confident person. No, you're arrogant. I'm just a strong personality. <laughs> you're an arrogant jerk. I can't help it if I have such a high IQ. You don't have to tell us you have a high IQ. In fact, in fact, if you have to tell somebody you have a high IQ, I don't think you do. <laughs> You're arrogant. Is it your fashion sense? Is it, is it your sarcasm? <laughs> what do you use to cover up and justify your pride? Third question. How much longer do you plan to let pride hold the remote control of your life? And I wrote up there on, seriously, how long? See, the purpose of this series is for you to say this. Pride, you are not my master, you're not my warden, you're not my boss, and you're not my boyfriend. Breaking up with pride. I don't know what that song is. That's, there's a Christian song out there. See, okay, you ready for this? All right. 
you say, watch this, pride. I'm going to go over to that, there to that person, and I'm going to ask them to forgive me. And kapow! <laughs> Not just pow, kapow! Pride goes flying across the room. We so messed that up in the first service. It took us forever to get, we, oh, man, and they just laughed. And it, it, oh, kapow! And, and, and pride, watch this, pride. I'm, I'm going go to go over to that person who got the promotion that I wanted, and I'm going to say congratulations. And kaboom! Not just boom. Pride's my life. <laughs> Janie's going, oh, man. <laughs> Aren't you proud, baby, of me right now? <laughs> Not just boom, kaboom, pride goes flying. Come on, this is a radical approach that will, even though we're laughing about it, it will destroy pride. So you say things like this. I wanted my kid to be in drama. So some mom says, I wanted to be a drama mama, but my kid, she plays lacrosse. So I'm going to go and cheer like a drama mama at the lacrosse game because my kid's that important. Dad says, my kid does this and I never did this. So what? It's not about you. It's about the kid. Go cheer like you are the crazy person and that's the best kid in the world. I'm going to go to small group. I'm going to go to men's group. I'm going to go to women's group. I'm just going to celebrate recovery, the landing, thriving moms. We've got all of these things. I'm going to go and watch this pride I'm going to pray. And pride, if you're not careful, I'm going to pray out loud. Kaboom. I didn't put that one on there, so that wasn't Travis's fault. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to admit my addiction, and pride goes, No, anything but that I'm melting. I want you to realize, even though we've had a little fun with this... Um, only strong people will ever ask for help. I got an email this week, and this title of the article said, Only the Strong Ask for Help. And I said, I got to click on that, and I'm going to read it to you. It comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 10, when, when Paul says, When I am weak, then I am strong. And here's what the, the devotional said. It's another one of those truths which people call counterintuitive. That is, it might appear to be a sign of weakness, but it's something only the truly strong can do. Like yielding to the bully on the highway. A weaker person would give vent to his anchor and try to teach that guy a lesson. The strong person knows no one can teach that guy a lesson. And the strong person knows it's not worth risking your own life. And the strong person realizes that your goal is to arrive at the place you were going safely. So you let, this isn't in there, you let the idiot go. He controls his anger and goes forward safely. That's what the author said. Only the strong can stoop and wash the feet of the other disciples. Only the strong can submit. The weak will protect his ego and safeguard his image from appearing to be as weak as he truly is. And only the strong can ask for help. The weak will protect his fragile ego and suffer in silence. Only the strong ever ask for help. Paul, um, this is, uh, don't have it up here, but 1 Corinthians 16 Paul said, I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Nicaea because he's saying, I got these guys coming. I'm excited about these com guys coming for what was lacking on your part. He's writing to this church at Corinth. What was lacking on your part, these guys are going to come and bring to me. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, he says, acknowledge such men who serve other people. In 2 Timothy, he says this to Timothy, Timothy, be diligent and come to me quickly. I need you to get here quickly, Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. John Mark is a guy who abandoned Paul early on in Paul's ministry, and he said, I want to have nothing to do with him. By the end of his ministry, John Mark had become so, uh, so 
um, beneficial to Paul that he says, bring John Mark with you. He'd been reconciled with him. For he is useful to me in ministry. And, and Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left at Carpus, with Carpus at Troas when you come and the books, especially the books, the parchments. I need the books. If the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, felt it necessary to ask for other people to help him, why do you think it's weak for you to ask? When I'm weak, Jesus says I'm strong. So ask. A golf partner asked Henry Ford one time, he said, I read in the paper you bought a million-dollar insurance policy from someone. Why didn't you buy it from me? And Henry Ford said, he asked me, you didn't. So what I'm saying is, ask. You don't know. Strong people ask for help. When you ask for help, what happens? Kapow! <laughs> I really will do anything, that, anything short of sin to help you remember the points of the sermon. Short of sin. So here's the last thing I want you to know. I want, and I'm going to ask you to say this out loud and carry this with you. We've got to stop hiding behind our pride. So this is what we're going to say. I'm not going to hide behind my pride. I'm not going to hide behind my pride. Now let's say it together. I'm not going to hide behind my pride. Pride says... <laughs> Jesus says, initiate. Father, I pray right now you bring to mind the names of people that we need to initiate reconciliation with. And I pray, God, you trouble our hearts, you trouble our spirits, you trouble our digestive system until we go and we make things right with that person. God, help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.